Good morning. I echo what Ron said. It was just a wonderful uh, worship experience. I like that, what Demisha said. We don't just sing songs to God. We get to interact with a living Father. Amen? Through His Spirit. And it was just, you know, sometimes you have to kind of sing like wait to the third song. But I'm telling you, right out of the gate, they all three was, was home runs to me, and you could just sense uh, God's manifested presence. We all know around here that he is present everywhere. Uh, it, the Bible says if you make your bed in hell, he's there. They always told me in the church that hell was the absence of God. They lied, didn't they? The Bible says if you make your bed there, if you send to the heaven, wherever it is, God's there because his presence is everywhere. I'm going to tell you a place that you might not know where he's at. He's in you. And the Apostle Paul didn't know that. And religion had taught him they were folks in and folks out. And he was against, he concluded he was in the in crowd and he was against everybody that was in the out crowd. And he went out so, so belief system to, that he would kill Christians or give his authority and his orders to do so. Until he said in Galatians that when it pleased God who had separated him from his mother's womb to reveal Christ in me. He didn't say to me. He just didn't know what God was up to and what God had done. We've all been told lies through religion. And one of the greatest ones is separation from Father. And God has never separated himself from man. The Bible's clear on that if you just read it. Amen? Amen. So I want to talk to you today about the beautiful gospel. Gospel means what, church? Good news. And it is such good news that it is too good for most to hear. Because they don't believe that God can be and is that good. And he's not good to church folk only. And it's not good to certain people and nationalities or races. Or, or He's good to all. And he's in all. And that's what it says. Um, you can be seated. Uh, now, if you, you know, <clears throat> if you're new to Grace Point and you have the boldness to keep coming, I'm going to be like a shot of whiskey to you when it comes to religion because I will say things invariably, not to be controversial, but they will be different than what I was raised on and what you were raised on. We've got so many things wrong, and it's been a journey I've been on for many years. Uh, and, and really what kind of helped me to fast track uh, my journey was when I, and nothing, nothing despairingly against the denomination. I was part of a Pentecostal denomination for many years. Uh, our family had had deep roots in, in what you know, would be called Pentecost. My granddaddy was a holiness Baptist preacher. And you take good Baptist people and smash them with holiness, you've got something going there. And he was a holiness Baptist preacher for 42 years. Uh, very, very legalistic, uh, a lot about rules, regulations, 
how you dress, what you do, what you don't do. Uh, basically, we were told to stay away from the world, uh, all kind of things. I don't want to spend my time talking about that. But then we transitioned in, into uh, a Pentecostal denomination, which I remained in until I started Cornerstone Church, March the 10th of 91. When I was no longer on the auspice of the denomination, which would always just kind of force feed you their, their articles, their press, Pathway Press, it was there. In other words, you, you, uh, you dined only at Mama's table, theologically. But when I was freed from that, then I was freed because uh, I wasn't only freed from it, I was uh, given the left foot of fellowship. Uh, once I declared my freedom or my obedience to start a church that was what some would call independent, but I called it totally dependent on God. And, uh, but it freed my mind theologically to think outside the box, as they say, to, to ask God the hard questions. And it's been a journey I've been on ever since. One of the things that's amazing to me, just to illustrate a point, and I hope it just doesn't become laborious to you, but I found out just in the, just the reading of the Scripture that one thing, you know, that the whole world's got wrong is the wise men hanging out at the manger. No such a thing. And the Bible's clear on that. Wise men were never at no manger. It don't tell you how many of them there were. There could have been three or 33. But they were never there. But yet all your nativity scenes all over the world has got them planted right there. But they wasn't there. Never was. How did we get that so wrong? I mean, Walmart's got it wrong. Because they sell nativity scenes that's got them there. Everybody that does a nativity scene has got it wrong. And the church universally just believes, well, they were there. And my thought when I saw that, and I don't have time to teach that to you, but it's easily proven. To, 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 to say that that happened when he was an infant, and he was given parents gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which is very, very valuable things, gold, and then to be commanded by the law to bring the firstborn son 33 days after birth to the temple uh, to be dedicated. And when they come to the temple, they were commanded by the law in Leviticus to bring a lamb for sacrifice. But it's also made provision for the poor people. And it said if they cannot afford a lamb, then they are allowed to bring the offering of the poor instead, which is two turtle doves or pigeons. When Joseph and Mary appears 33 days later, after the birth of their son, to the temple to have him dedicated, they show up with turtle doves. And to surmise that they got gold in their pocket but too stingy to spend any of it to buy a lamb or too greedy, they're, they're doing, they did far worse than Ananias and Sapphira. Would mean they showed up to the temple fronting that they poor when they really got gold available to them, but they're too greedy to spend any of it to, to obey the law. So Joseph and Mary is starting out breaking the law. Gone with your three wise men at the manger now. Is that your view of God? No, because the wise men clearly didn't show up until Jesus was a toddler a couple of years later. 
took them that long to find him. And the scripture says as plain as day, they didn't go see no infant. They came to where the to the house. Everybody say house. You know a house is not a manger. It may look like one, be nasty as one, and smell like one, but it's not a manger. Help me, somebody. But they went to the house where the child, not an infant, not a baby, not a babe wrapped in swallowing, where the child was. Wasn't nobody home but Mary. Joseph is at the carpenter shop working. And those men, higher men they were, came in that position and spoke to them and gave them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right after that happened, an angel of the Lord visited Joseph because now a plot from the devil had come through Herod to kill all the babies two years old and younger. And then the Spirit of the Lord warned Joseph in a dream and said, take the young child, not a baby, not an infant, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt for, for Herod seeks his life. Now they got traveling money. God will always provide for you. Now they got gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they can go and live in a foreign land for years off of that money. And until the Lord said, Herod is dead, you can come back to Israel. And that's where it fulfilled the prophet's prophecies that out of Egypt I shall call my son. Man, I feel like preaching in here today. And I took way too much time on that. But let me just say this to you. All I'm asking you to do is think and stop checking your brain at something you call faith. Because deep down, every one of you in this room and everyone that hears this message, some of the questions that I'm going to address is questions that you have privately asked but been afraid to say them out of your mouth. And deep down, you're as confused as You don't know what in the world to believe. But you know what you don't believe. Sometimes it's not so important what you believe. You just need to know what you don't believe. It's okay to say, well, I don't know how it's going to all pan out exactly, but I know this, I don't believe that, whatever that, that is. You could have come up, my daddy's been dead now five years. I sure do miss him. Uh, but you could have come up, and in fact, uh, there were times that somebody would say, well, you know, Paul Young I, you know, did this or that or the other. And I'd go, I, that, I know that's a lie. Because, see, you don't know him, but I do. And that, there ain't no way that's right. Now, what did I base that on? Because I knew my dad's character, his nature, and who he was. And I knew what they were accusing him of that was not possible. You couldn't mix, you couldn't mix it. You couldn't, you couldn't do it. So all I'm saying is if, if we got that wrong, and, and you got the, come on now, come on, you got your brain. You, you got to admit the whole world's got that screwed up. And, and, and most Christians, so to speak, whatever, would, would, would assume and claim that that is true. And we keep displaying that it's true to a world. And somebody says, well, who cares? Well, I care because the Bible cares. But one thing it does do, it is a glaring reminder that we believe a lot of things about God, about the Bible, about Scripture that is not true. And, and my point is this. Now listen, if, I, if we got that wrong, what else have we believed that was wrong? There's nothing scary, at least, about asking the question and to, to be arrogant and say we, we, everything we believe is about God has been right. It's not been. 
I told you, I'm a, I am a total atheist as far as the God that was first revealed to me, for I do not believe in that God. He is not a violent, punitive, retributive, scary, Zeus God in the sky with a thunderbolt to hit you in the head when you mess up. He's not that God. I want to tell you something's going on. There, there is such a revelation of the character of God that is now sweeping across the world. And it, and it, and it is, it is a, a, almost a homegrown. It's coming out and springing up within the denominations of all denominations. I don't know of any that are not getting spurts of it. And, and, it, and it, it began a, few, a decade or two ago with the heralding of the grace message. And it's like the church worldwide, whether it was Joseph Prince bringing it to America or whoever, but a worldwide declaration of the grace of God had to, to, to bust open because we, we, we sung Amazing Grace, but we wasn't amazed by it and we didn't even know what grace was. We thought grace was a six-week teaching. We thought it was a doctrine. Grace is a person and he's got eyes and his name's Jesus. And the grace of God has appeared and God's grace is what saved us. It wasn't your prayer. It wasn't your sinner's prayer that saved you. The grace of God is, for you are saved by grace. You're not saved by anything else. And you know how we live so long in, in all this stuff. And, but this, there's, there, there's, this is a, a sweeping thing. But now that grace is permeated a lot of denominations, the worldwide. Uh, now, once you believe in that grace, because what happens is when you see the grace of God, it's not earned, it's not deserved, it's, it's the absolute favor of God, it's by birth. Uh, when you see that, and you believe in that, and, you know, and, and one thing that's foundational, there's many things that are just so essential and foundational, but one thing that I've tried to teach you is that when it comes to the essence and the character of God, God is only, God, God is one thing, and that's what the script, God is love. And any other, you can't say God is love, but he's also, anytime you go, but he's also, you just committed heresy. So you can't say God is love, but he's also just. No, his name's not just. His justice is an expression of his love. You can't say God is, is love, but he's also mercy. His mercy is just a facet of his love. Everything from God flows out of his essence and who he is, is love. Now, now, God, say, what's God's purpose? God don't have no purpose. God is God, period. God's love exists because God exists. In other words, you don't tell your kids, I love you because you behave well. Or because you do this, or because you don't do this, therefore I love you. That, that ain't, that, that, that's not love. That's paychecks, performance, rewards. Right? God is love. And out of God being love, one of the things they sung about today, and, and I saw the words go on the screen, beautiful in goodness. And we, we say it a lot around here. They sing about it a lot. I'm, I'm glad for that. God is good. God is all good. Now, 
Let me read, this is a statement from the Eastern Orthodox Founding Fathers Church about God's goodness. God is good, yea, he is more than good, and his goodness is exceeding goodness. Therefore, he is gracious toward us, having no lack of or need in himself, in his sheer goodness. He freely brings us into being that we may share and take delight in his goodness because he is good, therefore all of God's works are good. Can somebody say amen to that? It's okay to say amen, even though it's not Bible, but that's, that's, their, that's the traditional view of the early church fathers of the goodness of God. It has not been our view of the goodness of God, particularly in the American culture church. Uh, now, when I say God is good, or you say it, we, we can never really prove our way uh, to this statement. You can't, you can't prove it. Um, our, our belief in God's goodness is a revelation. It's a, it comes to you by revelation. It's, it's a faith statement that you make. Uh, it's a premise that we either turn toward and experience God's goodness is true, or, uh, or we turn from it and deny that it is true. Uh, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm saying the big acid test of that is can you turn toward God's goodness even when you're experiencing tragedy or loss? Because a lot of people can't, they can't ride that ride. Now, it, it is a belief, because Psalm 27, 13, David said, I would have lost heart. In other words, I'd have went into depression unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He had to believe that he would see the goodness. He might not have been experiencing what he considered to be good in that moment, but he had to believe in God's goodness no matter what was going on. Are you with me? Uh, Romans 2 and 4, the apostle Paul said, do you, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repent? So the word repent, then, that I have to always say because the words that are in the Bible don't mean the same thing to church people. They think repent means put your face on that altar, cry and tell God about your sins. It's got nothing to do with it. The word is a Greek word, metanoia, means to think differently. So anytime the Bible says repent, it ain't telling you to cry and confess sins. It's telling you you've got to stop thinking the way you've been thinking. You've got to change the way you think. Think about what? God. That's the big one. Change the way you think about God. Because you got him accused of a lot of stuff that he's not guilty of. Number two, and if you change the way you think about God, then you'll be shocked by the way you change the way you think about yourself. And then if you change the way you think about yourself, you'll be absolutely blown away by when you change the way you look at other people. And you won't see people that's in and out, and I like them, and I don't like them, and I love them, and I don't love them, and I hope they go to hell. And I, you, you won't live like that. The beautiful gospel is based on truths, that God is love, that God does not change, God has never changed, and never will change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When an American hears that, they go, God is the same yesterday, they point way over here to yesterday, yesterday, today, where they're living, 
and forever. That's because we have a chronological timeline mentality, which is not God. God don't see things in timeline. God sees things in circles. So when the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's what it means. There is no beginning to a ring and there's no ending to it. It just, it just keeps going. Good morning. We're glad you're here. God is good, period. God is perfectly, listen to this, God is perfectly revealed in Christ Jesus. Christ did not come to change the Father into a nicer person. Uh, Jesus Christ did not come to save us from the wrath of a vengeful, vengeful, violent at times, retributive Father who really don't like us, don't want to look at us too holy to even behold us, but, but he's going to you know, give us the time of day because he likes his son and his son likes us. That's what most of us was raised on there, that view. They might not didactically taught it as such, but that's what the meaning was. God was upset, mad, angry. Jesus come to save us from the wrath of his daddy. His daddy had to beat the hell out of somebody, so Jesus stepped in there and took it. That way he didn't have to do it to me. And we call that substitutionary penal atonement, which is also heresy. See, I say things, and then if you've been raised on religion, you can get mad. Why you want to get mad at me if I'm more, I got more hope than you do? What if I just hope for a better outcome? And that's going to tick you off. If I tell you people are going to go to heaven that you didn't ever think were going to go to heaven, I mean, why is that making you mad? What kind of Christian are you? You don't hope people's going to get saved? You don't hope they're going to make it? I mean, are you set now as a judge to say, and, 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 and hell might be a good option as long as it ain't, you ain't thinking about your, your butt going there. Yeah. See, when people talk about hell to the ones that do, they, they ain't talking about it in terms of them going or their family going or their son going or their spouse going. They're talking about y'all. <laughs> y'all need to go to hell. And I tell you, go to hell. Because that's where you need to be. And see, if I say some things, and I'm going to say some things today, then people get upset. So he don't even believe in hell. See, you think hell's a destination. Let me tell you something. Hell is a problem right here and now. You, have you been outside? Have you not seen the hell that people are living in right now? The, the addictions, the sin, the, the trafficking of sex traffic, the hell that people are living in? Do you know within the last few weeks I've sat in a man's home with, 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 with tears in his eyes and said, said that uh, with my job with the Medicare industry and, and said that I've got a, it was so sincere, there was no, no glee, said I got two years and after two years I'm going to be out of money and after two years I, I'm, I'm just going to take my life. 
My wife had severe diabetes. We, we, we lost our home in South Florida. We had to move up here. Our son let us park our, an RV on his land, and now we're living in this, and we don't, we, we're living off of baloney, and we don't have enough food, and, and, and we don't know what to do. And I evaluated everything. I'm not no savior, but I evaluated everything too long a story. I'm not trying to do a Medicare seminar, but I was able to help the lady uh, uh, get, get on full Georgia Medicaid, uh, put her in a dual plan. She'll never pay nothing. The 165 Medicare was charging her for Part B. It, now it goes back in her check. The $250, $60 a month she was paying for her supplement now goes back in her home. I blessed the husband, got him some aid, and, when I, and I drew it all on there, and I, now $800, brother, is coming back into your house. Because you, just, because you just didn't know. He told me numerous times, he said, they ain't going to give us nothing, the government, whether it's state or federal. They're not going to help us. And people, they hate the government, and I get it. But there was help available, and it took a few weeks. These people didn't even know how to cancel her supplement policy. I drove another hour and a half back to their place just to cancel it. I asked him on the phone, did you do the Georgia Medicaid like I told you? He said, yeah, they turned us down. I drove all the way over there. But before I left this property, I loaded my back seat with groceries. And my wife went to the grocery store and loaded up groceries. And I took what the church here would give me. And I doubled it with what we went and bought. And I drove up to his house, and I walked in, and I said, now give me your supplement card, and I'll call, and, and we'll, we'll, they still want to talk to you, but we'll get it canceled. He said, I appreciate you coming over here, because we don't know how to do this. We don't know how to match this, choose this option, do this. I said, that's all right, we'll handle it. She started pulling out her old cars, throwed out a Georgia Medicaid, brand shiny new. I said, you told me that y'all didn't get it. He said, well, I didn't know what that was. It just came in the mail. I said, that's because you went down there and applied like I told you. I said, she don't pay nothing for nothing now. Do you also know you're going to get $155 a month food credit on your card that you can go to the grocery store and spend $155 a month? You understand that? What? That's another $155 coming in your house. Brother, you ain't going to have to shoot yourself in two years because there's hope. There's hope. And, and, and then when I got ready to leave, I said, now listen, I, I work for United Health Care, and I probably might not even supposed to be doing this, but I want to say this to you. I got, you told me how that y'all were living off Blowney and stuff. That breaks my heart. <clears throat> and uh, I don't want, you know, I'm not doing this as a United Health Care Medicare guy. I'm doing it as a human but I got some groceries out there in the truck that I'd like to leave with you if, you if it wouldn't offend you to leave them. He said, not at all. I went out there and toted them two boxes in. Pretty heavy, a lot of canned goods in there and stuff. And I handled, I didn't wait around to take a picture and put it on Facebook. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't wait around to, to get a thank yous or for him to go through the items and see if he liked or did I didn't, I didn't want to do any of that. I just dropped the food, got in my truck, and with tears and thankfulness to my father, rolled out of there. I went from the next day to a house over here 
this way, where we at? This way. Several counties over where a man 20 years younger than me is balled up in a fetal position in a bed with crippling arthritis, with hands that are twisted and torn like this where he cannot even hold a pencil. He has no family. He has no one but a friend, a lady that helps care for him. My son, oldest son, was in that home and saw that condition and called me and said, Daddy, is there anything you can do for this man? He was noticeably moved by the condition of the hell that man presently lives in. He ain't worried about no destination called hell. He's living in it today. And so I went into the house and, and I saw him, you know, distorted and curled up in that position in a catheter because he can't even get up and go to the bathroom. And he said, I'm having to, when I go to the doctor now, I got to go by ambulance and they're charging me and I don't have the money and can you help us? And I was able to help. And we got some Medicaid assistance and we helped him. And now he can ride 48 times uh, free a year. And he don't have to worry about that no more. And uh, be transported. You know, he don't have to go to emergency ambulance, he can be transported. And we, we was able to help. And I, I, I was going through the thing, and, and I said to, to him, I said, I'm going to be through here in just a minute, and I'll get out of your way. He said, listen here, man, we, we don't, you're not in my way. He said, I used to, I couldn't walk out my front door without bumping into somebody that need, needed me to go help them do something. He said, but don't nobody come over here no more because I can't help them do nothing. He said, I like you being here. It's good to have somebody to talk to. So when he said that, I just stayed a little while and just talked to him about how it used to be. And yes, I prayed for him. Went to another man that his little trailer, another agent that worked for another company called me and asked me about helping him. It was, it was so overgrown that the agent could not find entry into where you even go to knock on any kind of door. You would just have to do what we do to imagine how, how the growth was. He has no transportation. I went there and I went around one way and I go, well, that's not an entrance. And then I went around and I looked and I saw a little path beaten out about a foot wide. And I said, this has got to be the path. And I followed that path around till there was a door. And I knocked on the door and here come a man. And I was able to help him similarly. In fact, when I got ready to leave, he said, man, I sure do. He said, you know, I could spend some time with you. I could hang out with you. He's a little older than me. Spent his life putting up communication towers and stuff, and all that kind of stuff. But he said, I hadn't got, uh, I don't have anybody. He said, this was my mom's trailer. And I got sick where I couldn't work. She, she died and left it to me. But it's in her name. He said, I don't even have the money to put it in my name. And he said, I'm not doing good on food and so I was able to help him with $155 a month for food. He don't understand how to do it, so I've had to do a lot of it. But that man has called me every day, except this weekend, <laughs> for about a week. My wife would tell you, don't he, darling? And, uh, 
And it, and it gets kind of tiring sometimes because he'll say, uh, he'll call and say, uh, what are you doing? And I say, I'm just riding these roads, brother. He said, all right, brother man. Or boss man, he called me boss man. All right, boss man. He said, I don't want to be bothering you, but I just want to talk to you a minute. He'll come up with a question or whatever, and then we'll just chat about life. Now, he's told me the same stories over and over about how hard it is. And then he told me he went and tried to use his car, and it wouldn't work. I said, well, did you activate it like I told you? Well, you didn't tell me to activate it. Yeah, I did. I gave you the number to activate it. He said, well, I don't like all that mess and how the work government is and the world and stupid crap. And I said, brother, if they sent you a visa card, you're still going to have to call and activate that you got it. You got to quit being mad at everybody. Well, I know this guy, he mows lawns in Nashville and he, he, he mows yards and he gets, he, he gets all this money. He gets $250 a month food stamp. I don't get nothing. And he said, what'd you say about that? I said, I don't want to say what that man does or whose yards he mows or how much food he eats. ain't got nothing to do with you. It don't affect food going in your mouth. And I said, you got to get your eyes off what other people are getting and get all you can get and get the help that's available to you. He said, man, I need me a cold beer. And I was thinking, me too, brother. I'm about dead up dude right here. He said, but I ain't got no way of going. Won't nobody give me a ride. Won't nobody do nothing. And he said, where are you, where are you going when you leave here? And I'm out here. This brother lives in the woods, dirt road woods. I said, well, I got to go back to Valdosta. He said, well, you're going through Ray City, ain't you? I said, yes, I'm going to go right through Ray City. He said, if I have some money, I'll get me a few ice houses. I reckon that's a beer name that he likes. And, uh, and, uh, so I said, well, I can give you some money for some beer. Now, that may bother you, but I, ain't, I don't even care. Uh, and I said, I don't care much cash. I said, I only know how much I got. And I looked in my little wallet. It was $25. And uh, I give that to him, and I tell you, his eyes about filled up with tears. He said, you do that for me? I said, man, you, a few cold beers ain't going to hurt you out here. You know, you just, I mean, he got bags of, bags of cans just plastic bags all stacked all in the yard because he's going to turn them in. In fact, he did turn them in, and he called me today that the guy come to buy them, and he didn't like the price the guy gave him, but he said, just another example of everybody taking advantage of a poor fella. He said, if I could have had somebody hauling about Austin, I'd have got double for that. But he said, that's how they do you. I said, I know. And that was the whole conversation that day with just the man come and bought his cans. Now, I carried him to Ray City. He rode in my truck. No, he rode in my wife's car. See, that was the day my truck was in the shop, and I still got to work, so I used Jill's Lexus. That leather Lexus that still smells like brand new in her car, because she don't allow no eating, she don't allow nothing in her car. She's particular like that, ain't you, baby girl? And, uh, oh, we'll eat in my truck. Grandbabies will be back here slopping in the back seat, but not in that Lexus. Mm-mm. Got to wait till we get to the house for that bag. <laughs> And I called her and told her, I said, I just put a man out. And I said, he had a little, little aroma. And she said, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, I carried him, I carried him to the uh, Dollar General, whatever it was. That man talked to me all the way. I talked to him. I about couldn't get him out of the car when we got there. 
I said, Melissa, how are you going to get back to your place? He said, don't you worry about how I get back. I'll get back. <laughs> and, and, and I watched him when he walked off in my car mirror. He was, again, counting that money as he walked into Dollar General. It endeared his heart to me. This man has crossed my lane and gotten in my, in my trajectory. He's in my life for a reason. And what I want him to know is that I'm not a religious dude. I, I, yeah, he knows I'm a preacher, but not because I wear a tag or got a you know, clergy sticker on my bumper on my truck or follow me to church. None of that. Because I love without condition. And I want to uh, join him and, and let him know there's humans that do care. And that's what he told me. He, 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 he said, I'll say this about you. He said, you, you, you are a cordial person. He said, you're not ever mean to me when I call you. I said, why would I be mean to you? He said, well, I know you're busy. I, I said, if I'm too busy, I'll call you back. Just leave me a message. I ain't that busy that I can't return a call. Might be a few hours, might be the next day, but I'll call you back. He said, well, I just ain't never met nobody like you. He said, I could be your friend. It's good to have a man that's in his late 70s to find out that there are people that give a rat's rear end about you, even if you live in the woods in a little bitty 30-foot trailer that you can't hardly go up in. I told you the other day, my heart breaks. I said, you know what I want to do? I said, I want to get some men there at Grace Point that'll go with me. Somebody got a lawnmower we can haul over there. I'd like to mow that dude's yards. Just help out. I, I know you can mow them one time, they're going to grow back, you know? Can't go over every week or nothing. Can't give me my car. I don't know if those little acts of kindness just makes that much difference, but they do to me. You know, it's like the old picture of the starfish chunking them in the ocean, you know, that scattered all over the beach. I know you heard this, it's ancient. And somebody said, man, you, can't, you, you ain't make, doing no good. You ain't going to get all them starfish thrown in there. It don't make no difference. The guy was holding one. He said, it does to this one. Throwed it right back in the ocean. So you ain't got to save the world. Jesus already did that. But you got to use what God's given you to express Father's love and care and concern for them, regardless of their race or regardless of their social status or what they have or don't have. Or, you know, that man, he ain't worried about whether he's driving this or that. He don't even drive. He can't, he can, he'd like to drive, but he don't have the money. He don't have the money to have a car. Because he, he ain't drawing $600 a month. He said, what do you think about trying to make it off of $600 a month? I said, I know it's tough, man, but there is some help for you. And I said, you need to do this and do that. And then I had to hear him kind of fuss at me about how bad the government is. And then, because people are angry out there. People are upset. But I said all that, I didn't want, I took too much time. But that's my world. I see hell almost every day. People are living in it. You going to tell me I don't believe in hell? Now, the Bible uses New Testament, the word hell, 51 times. Translated into English, the word, English word, H-E double toothpicks, right? 34 of those times, it, is, it means Gehenna or grave. It just simply means the grave. Where the Old Testament said, hell hath enlarged itself. It ain't talking Satan's residence just got a pitchfork and 
it's saying the grave. I mean, it's just, I mean, I got a theologian sitting here. I mean, Dr. Callaway, thank you for what you did Wednesday night. Because I had to celebrate Jeannie's birthday over there. And y'all don't want to see her mad if I didn't show up. And that was the only night we could do it. And uh, I love y'all. Till you stay in a week? Okay. She had to go to one of my grandbaby's programs this morning, so she wasn't just hanging out and not coming to church on time. She went over there and spent a little time with the Methodist. How was the Methodist this morning? Were they sweet to you, man? All right. You know what she told me last Sunday, and I know I'm going to get it again today, right, after this. She said, I don't know what you eat for breakfast, but we need to stop you from eating whatever you ate last Sunday. Now she's going to think I done got into it again this Sunday. It was just an oatmeal bar. Unless you got them spiked, that's what I have. Now, God is like Jesus. Jesus is like God. God has always been like Jesus. That's so important that you believe that. We didn't know that. I didn't know that when I first got saved, so to speak. But I do now, and we got no excuse. Now, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says, and I quote this a lot, that God was in Christ. God was in Christ. God wasn't off in heaven. God wasn't turning his back on his son. None of that stuff that we've heard. All lies just like the wise men deal. But God was in Christ. And what was he doing? Reconciling the world to himself. Notice he's reconciling the world to himself. Not that he needed to reconcile himself to the world. Big difference. Why? Because God never separated himself from the world. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, there was no need for them to perish but have life everlasting. God's never separated from man. I don't care what your church told you. They lied to us. They lied to us. They told us we were, we were uh, totally separated from God. And Jesus came to, and got a cliff over here and a cliff and a big void, and Jesus is the bridge across. None of that's true. God never separated. And he hung out with sinners and murderers and thieves, and, he, and, he, and it, it starts in Genesis and it, and it never stops. I love the parable that started when the Pharisees started accusing him. They said, this guy Jesus, he, he, he receives sinners and he eats with them in Luke 15. He, he receives them. Can I tell you, you're a sinner, he receives you. He receives sinners and he eats with you. I mean, Zacchaeus, a little, you know, I don't know if he got short man syndrome, what his deal is, but Zacchaeus, the Bible says, was a man of small stature. He's a Jew, but he's, he, he's, he's bedded up with the Romans. Uh, he, he is a tax collector. He's working under the table. He's getting paid. He's living wealthy. And, and all the Jewish people want him to speak to him, spit on him, have nothing to do with him, and hate his guts. But he heard about this dude Jesus coming through, and he's so short that he can't see him and with the crowd, so he climbs up a sycamore tree. Y'all heard about this dude, right? And so he climbs up a sycamore tree, and Jesus walks under the tree and stomps and looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, come on down from there. 
I'm going to go to your house today and do what all these other people will not do. I'm going to go have a meal with you. I'm going to hang out with you. I'm going to be your friend. Zacchaeus couldn't believe it. And all the Jewish people around him couldn't believe Jesus was going to do that. He's supposed to be a rabbi. He's going in this guy's, and Jesus goes in his home. He hangs out with him. Zacchaeus never says a sinner's prayer. He never repents. He don't get water baptized. But he has an encounter with the living God. And he says, I have, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, you're my friend. I'm your friend. You love me unconditionally. I tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to get half of everything uh, to the poor. I'm going to give back everything I've taken wrong. And, and he, he rocked his whole world. Just changed his life. But that's who Jesus is. And so when, when they started accusing Jesus of receiving sin, then Jesus starts telling these parables. And the parables are aimed at the Pharisee because he starts out with a, a, a shepherd that has a sheep that's lost. And he said that he's going to look for that sheep. And you know what I'm going to say because I say it a lot around here. Until what? He finds it. He's not going to look for it until he gets tired. He's not going to look for the sheep until they die. No limits until he finds it. Woman with a lost coin, she's going to sweep that house, look for it until she Finds it. And then we go to the prodigals. He's looking for that son. Now sometimes I say, well, why don't he just go out there, you know, and just, you know, uh, handcuff the son, throw him down, cuff him, and bring him home? Because why don't God stop you from doing all the destructive things you're doing to yourself? Because you wouldn't be free. But I tell you, Papa's looking for you every day to come to yourself and stop living like that and get out of that hog pen that you built, that he's not punishing you, He's not whooping on you. It's just you've made some really poor choices. No condemnation. It's just we've all made some poor choices. But when Jesus came, Jesus perfectly revealed the heart of the Father. He confronts the sin of the world in this way. How did he confront the sin of the world? He said, I forgive you. That's what Jesus did. Did it from the cross. Did it before the cross. Did it. He, he, I forgive you. What was Jesus saving us from? Not his Father. Not his daddy's wrath. He was saving us from Satan, sin, and death. God is good. His goodness is essential to the gospel for it to be beautiful. And the very nature and essence of God is love. Now listen to me. If we're, listen, if we're going to call God good, and then you assign things to God that are clearly not good, you impugn and scandalize the name of and character of God. God is not a God where there's pain without purpose. Now listen to me. This thing, when, when, back when I was a Pentecostal guy, I would try to read about God, and I'd hear these guys preach about eternal, uh, conscious torment forever. Because you didn't say the right prayer, go to the right church, hang with the right people. That's your lot. When you tell a kid that, that's child abuse. And you severely, psychologically damage their view of not only God, but themselves. I lived my early life in total fear that I would die in my bed that night and wake up in the fires and the pits of hell. Child abuse. This, this teaching of that our Father cannot deal with sin and evil. 
He can only quarantine it. This teaching that, that, that there'll be a few little people remnant that'll make heaven their home, but most of the world, in fact, will go to hell, where is a place that they will be eternally, nonstop, tortured, in torment and pain, with no reprieve possible, no forgiveness possible, and listen, and no redemptive purpose other than to inflict pain and torture on a person who in their short, messed up life did not use their flawed will to say the right prayer, hook up with the right folks, or be in the right place at the right time. Therefore, in their short little old spit-in-the-bucket window of life, because they didn't make all the right decisions, that this God of love, whose essence is love, can't do anything but love, is going to quarantine them in some place called hell and torture them with no purpose other than the sadistic pleasure of inflicting pain and trauma and torment upon these damned souls. That makes God more damnable than a thousand Hitlers. Hitler couldn't do nothing that bad. But that's what we in the American culture and church accuse our God and wonder why we got empty chairs in here. Because we're living in a generation right now that this generation now, they're not accepting the status quo. They're not going, well, the, you know. No, no, not. See, when I come up in church, you just got yourself in line and you follow everybody else and you just, you did what they did. And then when it comes to this subject, you just don't talk about it. You just don't talk about it. You just go, I hope, you just don't talk. See, I've been talking to preachers privately about this for 20 30 years. I remember 20 years ago, I had them in my prayer cabin, and I had apostles there, and I had preachers, and I just brought up this about this. I mean, how, how, we, how we connect the dots on this? How is he love and goodness, and yet he doing this? When, as soon as I said it, one preacher did this. He crossed his fingers and just pointed them at me. Another preacher said, I, I, I just don't go there. Another preacher said, I don't believe in that. I don't believe that God's going to do that, but I'm too afraid to preach it because I don't want the deacons to fire me, and I need my paycheck. Another preacher, the youngest of the bunch, said with tears in his eyes, he said, Pastor Dale, I hope it's the way you say it is. I really do, because it would make a lot more sense to me. But see, now I'm at the age now, Somebody's got to say this stuff. Somebody's got to challenge this. Uh, to me, the greatest heresy is that heresy that you're accusing and impugning the name of the character and essence of God with that false theology that you think is an old ancient teaching. It is not. The fathers of the church, they, they didn't believe this. The apostle Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. He never mentions hell one time. What a glaring omission on his behalf. Why don't he mention Peter, the Apostle Peter, never mentions it one time. Jude never mentioned I can just go and start name. Didn't mention it. It's not mentioned. See, because we have a moral view. The, the church in Christianity is a moralistic view. And, 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 and if you have a moralistic view of, of Christianity, then, listen, then you need hell. Because that becomes your leverage 
to scare people to keep them in line. Because you have a certain moralistic standard that your denomination has come up with and the do's and don'ts. And so you need some type of threat. You need some type of coercion to be able to, to, to leverage them into obeying. But Christianity is not a moralistic deal. Eternal life is not something you're going to get when you die. Eternal life is what comes into you when you realize who Jesus is through the Father. And, and, and that's what he says in John 17. He says, for this is eternal life that they might know you, the true and living God. Once you know Father and who and how he really is, eternal life is your portion. And not just life, but abundant life. And, and, and it changes everything. Now, now, some, some and I'm, I got to end with this. Y'all give me five more minutes? Uh, who, okay, how many, how many give me five? Okay, it's five, ten, fifteen, no. All right, listen, I'm about done. Listen, let me just say this. And y'all can tell I really feel this in my bones. Some, some have been for a long time now, Pastor Callaway, you know this, they've been calling our culture, particularly our American culture, Post, we call in our nation a post-Christian nation. Post-Christianity. You know what that means, right? It means, you know, we don't move past Christianity. It's just not a big deal. And if you look around, you, in any church, anywhere, you'll know that it's not a big deal. Most time, church is something people do when they ain't got nothing else to do. And, and that's not whooping up on anybody. It's just, it's just, it ain't the same as it used to be. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not mad about it. I, I'm probably more sad about it than anything. It's hard to keep a church organism alive and functioning if people don't come and people don't give to it. I mean, somebody got to pay the light bill. Somebody got to pay the air conditioning. You know, I mean, if we're going to have a place that we're going to hang out together on Sundays and learn God's Word. And, 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 and this, this, this is a lie, too, that, that the Bible never teaches it, you know, just you and your Bible and the Holy Ghost, and that's all you need. The Bible never teaches that. In fact, it teaches you need the, the apostles and the prophets They're, and evangelists and pastors and teachers. They're the ones that bring, help bring you into maturity. You need a rabbi. You need a teacher. You need, I know it's the Holy Spirit's your teacher, but he's using those teachers whereby to teach you. And, and so, uh, the, the doctrine of hell has really done a lot of damage to a lot of people. But, but this culture, let me, let me just say it's not going to be done. Some call this a post-Christian culture. And in one sense, if you can hear me, there's a lot of bad with it now. Please don't misunderstand me. But there's also, there's some good in what's been going on. People leaving the church by droves. Now, a bunch of them got their excuse when COVID hit. But the World Health Organization just this past week said COVID is not, you know, it ain't the deal no more. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, you do what you want to do. You live your life, I live mine. But what I'm saying is a lot of them got there out. Because I've had some right here in this church that has never been back, ain't going to come back, they told me. And they didn't say it mad, and I wasn't mad at them. They said, well, Pastor, I just got out of the habit of it. Well, if you got out of the habit, can't you get back in the habit? I got in the habit of eating. I pretty well like that three, four, five, six times a day. I have had surgeries and stuff, and I got out of the habit of it. I remember laying in Emory, this is, this is true, and after open-heart surgery, and it like it took every ounce, I mean, I ain't kidding, every ounce of strength that I had to take a saltine cracker and eat that whole thing. And I remember I felt fear. Like, man, I got to eat some. 
I got to get my strength back. Number one, they told me I couldn't go home until I pushed that thing down the high hall and showed them I could. And I told them on that last day, I said, that first, you know, it's always teams of doctors if you've ever been to Emory. There's four or five of them coming in there. And the first one, I grabbed him that morning, and I, got, I actually grabbed his coat. My wife would tell you, and I pulled him real close to me. And I said, I want you to know something. I'm going home today. He said, well, we'll see about it. I said, no, you don't understand what I just said. I said, ain't no seeing about it. I'm informing you that I'm going home today. I've been here five days. Y'all done opened my chest twice. Once to fix me, once to save me. Y'all had y'all's time, I'm gone. I said, now it could be 9 o'clock tonight when I pull out of Atlanta, and I'll still be happy, but I am leaving here today. He said, boy, I can see you got the eye of the tiger. And I said, well, whoever you got to talk to, he said, we'll have to talk to, I said, well, you need to be talking to him. And so then later on, that doctor came, and he said, Dr. So-and-so told me what you said and how serious you are and you was going home. I said, yeah, y'all can write it up, AMA, against medical advice, however y'all want to chart it, but I'm going home today. I'm going to be headed to Valdosta. He said, well, if you walk that hall, and he said, I got to get these tubes out your chest where we've been draining that blood, them little suitcases. And he said, we're going to get them turned loose, and then after that, you got to show me you can walk the whole length of that hall and back without falling. I said, I'll do it. Just get these tubes out. And they did. You've got to have some determination. I remember eating that little bit. You, it, you go in that survival deal. And I, this culture, the, let me, the, help me say it right. This culture of post-Christian thinking, the, the future of Christianity does not lie in its moral, moralistic, rule-keeping preaching, but it, it is in acknowledging what the Apostle Paul did that I said in Galatians 1 and 15 and 16, that, it, that, that Christ was in him and he came to that realization. Now, let me just say this to you. If eternal conscious torment, now listen to this statement, and I could give you a lot of stuff. And I have preached this, and y'all know I did years ago. I preached the good news about hell, and boy, did I catch some for it. I really did. You drop that bomb here in South Georgia Bible buckle belt, buddy, you got you something to deal with. Now, you can preach it in Washington, they tell me. You can preach it at what, Harold Eberly. Harold Eberly, anybody remember Harold Eberly? He don't believe in no eternal conscious torment. I just, I, I mean, he don't. I've had conversations with him. He leans more toward the annihilation deal. It's just if you don't accept, it's just, you know, you're going to end up being ashes. But God ain't fit to torture nobody forever. I don't hardly know any preachers of any kind of sound thinking that says that God, this God of love and essence of love, would do that to a person with no redemptive purpose. Everything God does is out of purpose. And listen to me, even God's judgment and wrath is for you, not against you. But we don't understand that. Because we hear the word judgment, wrath, we think <laughs> chopping, killing, punishment. That's not who God is. And see, once I came into the revelation of God's grace, and then I came into the revelation for real of His goodness, then God's revelation of goodness in me made me question some of these things. And I said, there's no way that a God that is good as, the, as He is could do that and torture people forever for a little short span of life. And then I read in 1 Peter where Peter tells us clearly that Jesus went to those that died and he preached to them 
those that died in the flood. He preached the gospel to them. What do you think the result of that message was? Huh? And he led captivity captive, Ephesians says. And then what about the scriptures? There's three different times in the Bible. It says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. And in Philippians 2, it says, all those in heaven, all those on the earth, and all of them under the earth, that every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, can I get anybody to agree with me that that's in the Bible? It says everybody in heaven is going to confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody that's on earth, they're going to confess that he is Lord. And everybody that's under the earth, that means dead folk, they're going to confess with their mouth too that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you think it would bring God any glory for them to confess that and then he'd kick them off to hell? That brought me glory. There you go to hell now. Do you, let me ask you this. Do you think... How is that going to go down? Are they going to confess that he is Lord at the point of a sword pressed to their heart? Is God going to put the 44 Magnum up to their temple and cock it and say, now confess that I am Lord or I'm going to blow your brains out? Is that who he is? Is that the God that, you, that we worship today? So how do you think all those people in the earth, that above, in heaven, on earth and on earth, how do you think they're confessing to the glory of God? How do you think that's going to go down? If it ain't going to go down at the point of a sword or any kind of coercion on God's part, because then it wouldn't be authentic anyway. If you put a pistol to a woman's head and said, tell me you love me, and she can say, I love you, but that don't mean she really loves you. And you can tell, put a pistol to somebody's head and say, you call me Lord. That don't mean that they really see you as Lord. We're playing games here. It's in your Bible. How do you make that mesh? And last thing, come back next Sunday, I'll be sweeter. <clears throat> last thing, listen. If it is that way, and even C.S. Lewis says in one of his writings that God loses. But if it is true that God fails at his attempt to eradicate evil and therefore can only quarantine it and therefore evil still exists, it's just been quarantined, then that means God fails and evil wins and Satan wins and Satan has more success and people than God does, who is the God who's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance, and that, who says over and over in the New Testament that his desire is that all men shall be saved, and declares that they will be. That's what that would mean, that evil wins. And in fact, love does fail, because the Bible says love never faileth. But if that is the scenario, if that is where we end up, then love exceedingly has failed us. And it failed to change the heart. That would make the heart of a rebellious person more difficult and harder than the relentless, fiery love of God. And that's why Paul said, I want to tell you all something in Romans 8, nothing shall separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not height, not depth, not width, not life, not death, not principality or power or anything created. 
Nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of God. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says once a person dies, that's it. They don't get another chance. They don't get to talk to God. In fact, your Bible teaches the opposite. Well, he went and preached to them that died in Noah's day. Why just pick them out? Ain't other people dying? Why just say, I'm going to save this group, but these other people that have died over here, I'm not fooling with them. I'm just going to let them go to hell. You, you take your three kids. You pick which one you want to go to hell and which two you want to save. Daddy. Mother. heart of love is I'm saving them all. And all I'm saying is my heart, get mad if you want to. You send me letters sometimes. You get mad. I heard you say this and so we ain't been back. Well, hallelujah. I mean, I, it breaks my heart because you don't even have enough tenacity to stand around and listen to somebody that says something different and contrary to what you thought you know. And you didn't get it because you studied the Bible and come up with your theology. You got it because you went to a church somewhere when some preacher told you that. And then you, 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 know, you locked in on that and said, that's got to be right. He the one with the book. That ain't right. My papa is love. He would never torture and torment people. In fact, he says that in 1 John 4. For him that fears punishment, they've not been perfected in the love of God. For the love of God does not fear punishment. For perfect love casts out all fear. For there is no fear in God. I don't fear God. I love Him. And God's wrath is going to come and every Christian is going to deal with it at the judgment. Christians, you ain't, you ain't off the hood. When we stand before God, there's still going to be some wood, hay, and stubble in there. And Paul said God's going to burn out that wood, hay, and stubble. The prophet, the, the prophet in the Old Covenant said God's going to sit like a refiner's fire and he's going to burn out all the dross and all that evil stuff and all that stuff that you still got on board. None of that's entering in. And, and, but now you, the gold and the silver, purify that. Purify See, to some things the fire destroys, but to other things it purifies. God is a consuming fire. That's what the prophets taught, and that's what Hebrews teaches. And we all going to pass through the fire. I said we all going to pass through the fire. And God's wrath is going to be poured out against anything that's not of love's kind. Just like if you went to a doctor and you got a tumor in there that's cancerous and malignant, that doctor is going to maybe do, do some stuff that's going to be bloody and painful. He's going to put you to sleep. He's going to slice you open. He's going to reach in your guts, pull out a tumor, sew you back up, and his wrath is poured out against that because that tumor will take your life. It will rob you of your life and your abundance, and so that doctor will bloody his hands. He will go in there, and he will cause pain and affliction, but he is removing that that is not of life's kind. And we don't, we don't curse him for that. We hug the doctor in the waiting room. Thank you for taking that tumor out of mama. We appreciate you. We thank you for doing it because that's that doctor's wrath against that disease. I want to tell you there's a disease that affects us and God says I'm going to pour out my wrath upon everything that is not of me. And even when you walk as a Christian and you step in that other side, you're going to pass through that veil of fire and it's going to burn out all that stuff and he's going to say, enter into the joys of the Lord that I have prepared for thee. You're not going to have no more problems. You're not going to wipe every tear from your eye. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. <laughs> Don't nag me on, Howard. You do too good. 
Can y'all tell that I feel this in my bones? And I'm just asking you to have mercy. You looking at a guy, stand with me, I got to let you go. Listen, you looking at a guy that spent six years as an evangelist in a denomination. I would travel all over South Georgia from Macon, Warner Robins down. I preached the gospel. I hauled my family. I hauled my wife. I don't regret it. I do regret the message that I delivered to those people in those cities, but I was doing the best I knew. I was taught as an evangelist under our evangelism training to, you know, have you five sermons that you've got memorized that can preach good and that bring a change. And I was told always preach one on hell because we was a Pentecostal group, so we emphasized that the reason you want to go to heaven, and we were trying to save people from hell. People get mad and say, well, you've, you've taken away hell, then you ain't got no motive to reach out to your brother. Say, Man, you ain't reaching out to him no way. Because you don't even think about hell. All you think about is yourself and where you're going to eat. And you ain't worried about your lost family. If you would, you'd be over there laying on their front porch weeping. But you don't care. I don't mean that mean. I'm talking to people on the radio and stuff, not y'all. Don't, don't tell me that. But I'd preach that. And I, and I could fill the altars up. And I did. I remember the first Assembly of God in Adele. I packed that thing with teenagers. I preached that fire in on hell. I scared the hell out of all of them. Even the deacons was getting saved up there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm serious. And my wife would tell you, they called me back. And it was like a revival kind of broke out there for a little few weeks. They wanted me to keep coming. And the teenagers was coming. And we looked like we was really having a revival. Church, whatever. And I preached in that church fairly often. And I went back. They tried to call me as their pastor. Uh, and I don't mean somebody in the parking lot mentioned. I mean, I met with the deacons and they wanted me to be their pastor and told me we'd change the name of our church to anything you want to change it to if you'll just be our pastor. And that's a fact. But I didn't do it because God didn't want me to. But I went back to the church six, eight weeks after that revival. Teenagers, you know, 30, 40, 50, they reported, got saved. Went back, couldn't find none of them. Because fear never bursts anything but fear. And before long, you drive down the road, your car, come up on a bad wreck, see a sheet laying out there across the body, cars tore up, people crying. You know what you do? If you ain't got it buckled, click. Both hands on the wheel, speed limits down, and you drive careful because you've been traumatized by what you saw. I don't want that to happen to me. But in a day or two, seat belt ain't on, got that arm thrown up in there. Boom, 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 boom. Got the music going, ain't even thinking about nothing, and blowing the horn. Get out of my way, you mama crazy, you know, and all that. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jill. <laughs> I don't like you sitting behind the post. Oh. Why didn't them people stick? We would have revivals in my home church that my pastor pastored. It was often five, six weeks. Report 50, 60. I'm not making this up. Saved. Come back six weeks later. Couldn't find none of them. Because that don't cause people to have a relationship with Jesus. Because God never intended fear to be your motive. I'm not trying to keep people from going 
to hell. I'm trying to get people to see Christ in them is their hope of glory and the love of the Father for them. That's what I'm trying to do. And uh, so I know I've been a little strong probably. My tone has been a little strong. I apologize for that if that's offended you, but it's just my passion. It's not arrogance. It's not in, in judgment of you and your theology where you... I got a lot of mercy for you because I, I too have been there and I have been involved in all those things that I'm not, I, I don't believe in anymore. And it doesn't make me evil. I just didn't know. And that's why I wrote a book called Misheard in Church where I try to reveal the love of God that's in Christ to people. And I have advanced even far in my understanding and revelation since I've written the book. And it don't look like it's going to stop. And as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and to his church, I am always out on the seemingly on the spear, on, on the front end of these things. This apostle here, you actually believe this quicker than I did because you're younger and smarter than me. And, uh, but I remember him being accused of being a universalist or accused of this. And, but they, they was something, he's my son in the Lord, and, and, and uh, he, he saw it. My, my, my oldest son, which we never even had any kind of discussion really about it, but he saw all of this 10, 15 years ago. Uh, what's that guy's name? Y'all, you and just talking about something called Pearson or what's his name? What's his first name? I can't hear you. Carlton Pearson. He saw it a decade or two ago. And boy, it cost him dearly when he. When he come out and said, this is, this is, it ain't like we've been told. I followed that guy, you know, for so many years. He used to hang out with Carmen and Oral Roberts University and all that stuff. And, and boy, when he come out with that, and then T.D. Jakes got on TV and called him a heretic and, you know, and all that. And, and, uh, because you know, them brothers get scared. Because if you take away their motivator, hell, you know, then they ain't got nothing you know, I don't ever tell you, you better give in tithe. God's going to get the money. I, mean, I don't do none of that mess. A good daddy don't do that. It's not in the Bible. So we don't have the money that a lot of churches have. Because I don't browbeat you or threaten you or scare you. Because you're my kids in the Lord, and I'd never do that to you. I ain't going to do it to my own kids. I want to sit down with my grandkids and say, listen, because some of them go to different churches, I just want to say to my grandchildren, listen, I'm going to do it before I leave here, but I want to say, listen, I want you to know that God's never going to, I don't care what you hear in your church, that's, God will never do that to anybody. He would never torture somebody with no redemption value at all just to be torturing them. That makes him out the worst monster that could be conceived. And then how are you going to tell him that and then turn around and tell him he's loved? But give him praise. You have like people who ain't got no brains. They, got, they can't think for themselves. This generation now, they challenge you. What? I don't believe that myth. They challenge in government. They challenge in everything. Now, have you not noticed? That's why it's time to have this conversation. We're not, a, we're, we're not sitting here cowed down in the church. Going, I don't know what to say. I just don't believe what we, No. No. Don't accept that. Your own head tells you that ain't right. When I preached, I don't know how years ago, eight, nine years, I don't know, John would probably know, but when I preached good news about hell, I had so many of you come up and say, Pastor, I had one man sit there by where Mike said, he came up in my service, he said, listen, and I don't think I am, but he was an older man, used to be an elder in a church in this town for many, many years, and he said, you know what, Brother Dale, 
He said, I ain't never heard nothing like that. Today. But I want to tell you this. He said, you're the bravest man I ever saw. But he said, I always question that. I had so many of you say, that's the way I believe, but I was too afraid to say it out of my mouth. I had people come up with tears, and I said, now that I, I can now serve God with an open heart now, because I now know that he is not that God. And it's going to expand your heart. I went overtime because Howard said I could. <laughs> Amen. Let me, uh, let me pray with you and for you. We do love you here. I hope it's... Just, just think about it. Just think about it. Hey, if you need to believe in a God that's going to torture people forever and that helps you, you're free to do so. You're, you're free, but I can't do it. And I can judge it no less than a heresy. It needs to be rid from the pulpits of American church and all the church and stop preaching Greek mythology as the gospel, for that's where it came from. And stop doing that and go back to what the ancient fathers, church fathers believed, what the apostle Paul believed, and all those apostles, and they never mention it and they never threaten it and never do it. And there's scriptures you don't understand, and that's why we do those Wednesday nights, and you can ask any question you want to ask. But they are answers to most of them and responses to some. Heavenly Father, the God who always is and has always been love, thank you for being love to us, for us, and in us. I pray the revelation of your goodness will permeate every heart. And Papa, they will not see you as some vengeful, retributive, punishing, angry, wrathful God. That your wrath is never aimed at them. They are your precious children. But it is aimed at all the evil that would come and separate them from love's kind and the enjoyment of your love and fellowship, and communion. So I pray today that not one would leave this place without knowing that you are love. And not only knowing it in their head, but experiencing it in their heart. And as they turn toward you, they find that to be so true. For it is your goodness that leads us to change the way we think, first and foremost about you, ourselves, and others. I pray that that revelation that hit the Apostle Paul will grasp their heart, and that they will see as the Spirit reveals Christ in them, not just to them. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. God bless you guys. I love you. Thank you for giving me a little extra time there. And uh, please come back. I'll be sweeter next Sunday, I promise. <laughs>